you know, start with our two circles. One of them is the donors and one of them is the, the beneficiaries and then slide them together like a Venn diagram. And where those two overlap, that's the nonprofit organization. That darker color of the overlapping circles is the nonprofit organization as the direct connection with donors and um and beneficiaries. So instead of the buffer, we're the, the overlap, we're the piece that comes together. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Shannon McCracken. She's the chief executive and at the helm of the Nonprofit Alliance. She also has an interesting vantage point as she spent over 20 years in fundraising leaderships at multiple organizations and now is actually on the board of Charity Navigator. During our conversation, we talk about a variety of topics, but focus in on the current state of fundraising and how fundraising leaders like yourself can address so many pressing challenges that are facing us in 2020 and beyond. We then dive into how you can adopt a listening strategy that doesn't just generate data, but how do you actually turn that data into relevant actions that help you build trust and relevancy with your donors? It's a great conversation, so let's dive in. Shannon, you have a unique vantage point. You know, you spent nearly 20 years in fundraising leadership roles and now are at the helm of the Nonprofit Alliance and on the board of Charity Navigator. What what do you see as the most pressing challenges fundraising leaders are tackling today? That's a great question, Noah. And yes, you're right. I've I've had a great journey to this midpoint in my career. I had the opportunity to spend 17 years inside one organization um, in the fundraising and donor development program there. And then I actually, so I worked for Charity Navigator for two years. I was in a leadership role. And then um, I had this fantastic opportunity to launch the Nonprofit Alliance, which is a a membership association. Um, We protect, promote, and strengthen the philanthropic sector. So it's... um, it's been quite a, uh, an amazing ride. I'm so fortunate. You know, to your question, what are the most pressing challenges we're tackling today? It's a great question. I think, I think the common denominator is really its trust and its relevancy. Um, so once upon a time, think about it, that nonprofit organizations, um, including or in addition to one's house of worship, and I'll come back to that in a second, um, but the nonprofits were really the vehicle for people to make a difference I say beyond your fingertips, right? So if there's a there's a problem or a concern right in our own footprint of space, then we most of us you know naturally lean into addressing that. But when it's this bigger problem, something we see on the news or something that just feels larger than we can tackle on our own, the beauty of our society has always been that we could we could join with others, partner with other people who feel like us, and through a nonprofit organization, make a difference in that in this this greater shared vision. Um, and so t- today, nonprofits absolutely still serve that role, but we don't serve it alone anymore. Um, you know, there are platforms that allow people to connect directly to stories of need and give directly to, uh, you know, to an end beneficiary. There's amazing social activism where I can feel like I'm making a difference, not necessarily by writing a check in that moment of concern, but by, you know, something 
calls to action and activism and spreading the word and engaging and exciting other people, I still don't have to leave the comfort of my own sofa, right? Like, you know, just in the old days of writing the check and then I can feel better. There are other ways that I can, I can feel like I'm making a difference right now. And then corporate social responsibility, you know, look at the way corporate um, entities are really stepping up. Um, And yes, part of it is about their, their, you know, marketing and customer engagement, but they're making a difference in in you know some of our nonprofit space, and they're doing it with their for-profit models. And then I mentioned houses of worship. I I, I don't think you can have a, any conversation about fundraising today without some cognizance of the change in people's giving to religious organizations, and um, because that's really the canary in the coal mine. And we've seen the data that shows as people are start connecting less with faith, then giving in other places goes down. Um, it's, it's, you know, sort of this, this, like I said, the canary in the coal mine, the, the leading edge in the way that people are, um, are giving and feeling like they can make a difference. So bringing it back to your question, the relevancy and trust, I think there, when there are so many more options for ways in which people can give back and we have really short attention spans and news cycles are fast, um, and there's so many sources for information, nonprofits have to operate differently to remain relevant and meet people, meet our donors where they are. Um, and, and think about once upon a time, billboards on Route 66, you know, and that caught everybody's attention as they drove by. And then the interstates were built. And if you kept putting up your billboards on 66, nobody was seeing them anymore. You know, you had to, at the very least, move your billboards to the interstate. And probably, if you're really smart, start thinking about what the fact, the, you know, how the interstates are going to change people's lives, change the way people travel, change who travels, um, you know, all of that to really, really keep that relevancy. And then part two of that is, again, the trust and the idea that nonprofits can't just rely on this, like, halo of goodness <laughs> that we once had that, you know, that was almost a given for us. We have to actively own that and manage that um, accountability and transparency and and the good governance steps of you know publishing our 990 but it's also about how we answer the phone when our um, or an email when our donors call it's those those one-on-one conversations that that validate um, our commitment to accountability to our donors yeah and you hit on so many key points that I definitely want to continue to unpack through our conversation but kind of in summary i feel like what you're saying is that the world that we're fundraising in is complex and has changed but also is ever changing and so the role as a fundraising leader is to really adapt and be nimble in that environment while also focusing on this idea of trust and relevancy and ultimately you know we're talking about this on the morning of you know the tornadoes that kind of just ravaged nashville there's so many things that are compounding the complexity daily, whether it is new you know, crisis, like what's happening for the folks in Nashville that fuel this, or it's political spats or global crisis or the marketing slump, or even just the recently the real threat of the coronavirus, which I know is just top of mm-hmm. mind for a lot of people. And so that relevancy becomes even more important because what's consuming the minds of today's donor continues to change and it does change rapidly. So I kind of want to push this back on you as someone who's obviously, you know, helping to coordinate and rally nonprofits to be thinking critically about this idea of trust and relevancy, but like what can you do? Like what <laughs> I guess if you're a fundraiser going into work next week or you took over the helm of a, a of an organization as their chief development officer, like what what are what should they be focused on? Like where should their attention be? Obviously it's trust and relevancy, but 
practically, what does that actually look like? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't think there's a one size answer. Um, you know, I, I think it depends on the starting point where your organization is. I think it depends what your organization does. So you mentioned something like um, the, the tornadoes, a, a disaster. Um, there are some organizations that have stepped up because they've stepped up so many times before. Every time there dis- there's a disaster, they are at the front lines because that's their DNA. It's the core of what they do. Um, and, and so that's one set of answers. But the, the other piece of that is when something happens, what is every what do the rest of us do to to adapt and adjust to that? You know, do we um, for major gift donors? You know, are you reaching out to some of your your um, longtime supporters who are in the Nashville area to check on them? You know, are you thinking about how this impacts their relationship with your organization? And that impact might mean that they're not thinking about you right now, right? <laughs> um, that you are not the most burning Absolutely. issue. And, um, in their world. And, you know, that's from a major donor. That's from a very one-on-one point of view, but then step back into broader fundraising. What is the value that the, the important work that you do as an organization doesn't change because something else happened, but maybe the way that you communicate with donors or your timing of that, um, or your sensitivity to what you're putting on um, social media today, you know, think about some of those, those pieces as well. That's the very much in the gritty, nitty gritty of the moment. And it, it is a heck of a lot easier said than done because we're all trying to, to juggle so much at all times. Um, but the sensitivity and awareness is important. Yeah. And I love the the use of the word awareness. It's kind of like looking outside of your organization's boardroom or staff meeting and being like, what's going on in the world today? Like how are our donors or our future donors being impacted by kind of the noise that's, you know, muffling maybe some of our messages and how do we help support that and just be acknowledged of that. That's a big part of what we kind of present as part of what we call responsive fundraising here at Virtuous, this idea of like, how are we listening for donor signals? But those signals aren't just specifically from a donor, but they could be more of these macro signals like, hey, the current conversation right now, like it's Super Tuesday, there's disasters going on, like the coronavirus is like, you know, of uh, causing fear, you know, in a lot of different ways. Like how, what's our role in that conversation? Mm-hmm. How do we support our donors that might be thinking or kind of consumed in that conversation? But first and foremost, you said awareness. It's looking up and out instead of always focused internally. But that's a really tough thing when you have fundraising goals. And I know you spent <laughs> years in the seat of many of our listeners so it's hard to prioritize and balance that, especially with your team and kind of still to drive forward towards your goals and the impact you're trying to make happen in our world. Exactly. Yes. And, and the flip side of that is we need to be aware and sensitive, um, but we also need to, we can't be quiet, right? We can't wait for, oh, what is my moment for my organization to speak? Because we are, our organizations are out there on the ground doing important work every single day. And so how do we, what is our strategy for telling and showing our stories? Um, and again, going back to what I said, there's not just this natural assumption anymore that, um, that nonprofits are all good and doing amazing work and donors don't just wake up and say, hmm, I'm going to go, you know, make a donation today just because I'm inspired to do that. We have to continually layer and make that case and give people a compelling reason to to follow us, we need to activate our our evangelists and our influencers to just you know continue to, to beat our drum for us. And if we're we're going very narrowly focused and so programmatically driven that we kind of forget that we need to bring everybody along with us, then we're going to find out that we're pretty alone. Um, so that storytelling and that that sharing our stories, especially in today's world of social media, you you just if you're quiet, you're you don't exist. 
right? You, you have to stay yeah. on everybody's radar. And it speaks to the side of what you mentioned, which is relevancy. Like, how do you maintain that relevancy in a world filled with micro moments? Like, you know, the the monthly newsletter is not sufficient anymore. Mm-hmm. Because if you even look at some of the data on why donors stop giving to charities or choose to continue to give to charities, in summation, it kind of comes down to this idea of what we've we've called confidence and connection. And so at the end of the day, like not donors that are confident and connected to a cause are going to continue to give. But if there's a feeling that they don't have confidence or don't have a connection, they're going to stop giving. And I think that's ultimately those two elements build trust, which is kind of what you shared. So I know, obviously, you've been in the fundraising leadership role before. So how did you all think about building trust with donors? Like, how, how would you advise someone to be thinking about how to establish trust, not just with major donors, but with, you know, all their donors? Yeah. So perhaps unknowingly, Noah, but you're leading me into um, something that's one of our our passion projects at the Nonprofit Alliance right now. (laughs) So I'll answer that question first, though. Um, So I was with Special Olympics for for a long time. And we had this great opportunity to work with our... um, We managed a lot of the fundraising um, and the, the direct marketing from our national headquarters, but we worked with our state programs or our state chapters. And so we had the opportunity to partner with um, the, the feet on the ground, if you will, and delivering our um, sports and, and health programs along with the fundraising um, expertise from, from headquarters and figure out which ones of our donors were also volunteers or Special Olympics coaches or Special Olympics athletes or family members of athletes or health providers, special education teachers, people who had a, um, you know, a real connection with our mission and were you know, living it every day. And they knew that. And they expected us to know that, right? And so um, being able to connect those dots and not just just you know, ask for and collect the information from our um, constituents and our, our um, greater greater good of people who are surround the mission, um, but then also reflect that back. That's sometimes the hard piece is you can get all the data. We, we can all be data geeks all day long, um, but how do you reflect that back in a way that feels very, um, you know, and, and is very authentic? For us, some of the messaging, um, you know, maybe our default messaging, because we do have grassroots programs all over the, the country and the world, we could say to people when we were asking them to renew their gift, we could also say, we would love to have you come watch an event or, or have you considered volunteering? But you don't want to say that to somebody who's a Special Olympics coach and is already out there a gazillion hours a week. Knowing that they were a coach and being able to use that moment to thank them and give them a different call to action that felt really relevant and connected, that was, you know, that was critical to us and something I'm really proud that we were able to do it at Special Olympics. And lots of other organizations have the opportunity to nuance that in their own way. Um, yeah. And as I said, we, we have this passion project now that we call Tell Us What You Love, which is really about that. It's, it's like, how do you ask, collect, and then reflect that relationship information or the reason that somebody loves you, the, the old animal organization of is somebody a dog person or a cat person? That is such an easy question to ask. And once somebody tells you that, they expect you to remember it and, and reflect it in the future. Yeah. And I think in my research for our conversation, I happened upon the Nonprofit Alliance's Tell Us What You Love campaign that you just mentioned. And it's so beautifully mirrored and executed many of the concepts we've outlined within responsive fundraising. And you've kind of mentioned those, specifically the importance of listening. And it's listening not necessarily just to listen. That's kind of that 
data paralysis side of it, but mm -hmm. to connect in a personal way, but then also to make suggestions that are relevant to that individual. And you kind of shared how that would different or differentiate for Special Olympics between maybe someone that is a donor versus someone who's a coach. And knowing what to suggest to the right people at the right time is so powerful today because it hits on your two points. By doing that, you're building trust and you're building relevancy because you're saying, I know you, I hear you. These are things that make the most sense to you. So it's not even asking them to do something they're not wanting to. You're basically suggesting, just like Netflix suggests things that I want to watch next that are relevant. The less relevant, the less trust I'm going to have. And ultimately, that builds connection and confidence, which leads to growth and a bunch of other leading mechanisms. So I love this campaign. And I, I think I don't want to move past it because I think it's really important, but I would love for you to share more about the campaign's origins and its intent. Because I know it's a new thing that the Alliance is pushing. And mm -hmm. I kind of want to let you unpack that so our listeners understand what you guys are thinking around this. Sure. And you, you started to touch on it there um, as well. You know, we've, um, there are lots of great third-party data sources that can help us sort of um, identify or make some pretty good guesses about the the reasons somebody might be interested in our organization and you know so we can make those assumptions on on their behalf and um, frame things in such a way that we're reflecting that even without that donor necessarily having told us and that that can be very effective um, and I'm sure will continue to be very effective but you know, we are in a very different space right now in terms of people's awareness of um, what information they are and aren't choosing to share with organizations, companies, the apps on their phones. Um, there's, you know, there's data privacy legislation at the state level, bubbling up at the federal level. And we all need to be very cognizant, not only of being compliant with this changing um, map of legislation, but also how do we, again, back to both relevancy and trust, how do we strengthen that relationship we have with donors so that they are choosing to share information with us? And then we are validating our, you know, our strength of our relationship with them by reflecting that back. And so there were a few of us on a call, you know, sort of talking about how do we, how do we kind of elevate this conversation? And um, the Nonprofit Alliance is really involved with the, the data ethics and the legislation and advocacy around that. How do we make that that story and these changing um, this this changing climate of compliance more um, connected or interesting to people who maybe sort of tune out legislative stuff, right? Like I'm not giving anybody a free pass on tuning it out. But if you're one of those people, here's another way that you need to be um, kind of approaching this or thinking about it is if you want to continue to to you know really connect well with your donors then you need to ask them questions. You need to, and when they trust you and say, oh, let me tell you this about myself and you honor that trust and that friendship by sharing that back to them. You know, if you and I are talking right now, Noah, and I tell you something about myself and then the next time we talk, it's like you've never heard that before. Um, or worse, you say something that is completely contrary to this, this tidbit that I shared with you. I'm going to, that's not going to feel good to me. Um, so how... In, in our relationship with our donors, how do we um, ask questions in a way that we know we can capture it um, and and use it? There, are, um, so I, I shared a good experience with you of of something that we did well at Special Olympics. I'll hang myself out there and share a not so good experience, but a teachable moment for myself. We had a survey that we sent out to a relatively small number of donors. Um, 
but it was large enough that when we got the survey responses back, we realized that our open-ended questions, while we got fantastic answers and people turned the paper over and attached notes and sent, you know, told us their life stories, we didn't have any mechanisms in place, including human power, to be able to figure out how to capture that in our database. So we had all this great information sitting there spread out all over this conference table, more responses than we expected in any of our best projections. Um, and we weren't in a good place to be able to, to go back to that person time and again and say, we know that you told us, you know, such and such. Actually, that was the moment when we realized, and this sounds silly now, but, but at the time, that was the moment when we realized how many of our donors were special education teachers or retired special education teachers, because we'd never asked that question. But one of the survey questions was, you know, why do you support Special Olympics? And people shared all these stories about all their years of teaching, and now they've retired, and this is their way to stay connected. We had nothing in our database to connect that, nothing programmed in our messaging to be able to, to reflect that. Um, so that's my, again, sort of rambling story. But the tell us what you love is how do you ask questions that you um, can lead you to discovery and then make sure that you have the, the operations and the plan behind it to be able to, to um, carry forth that, that relationship. Yeah, and I think we, we run into this a lot when we talk about this with groups and have been kind of promoting responsive fundraising over the past six or seven months and is this idea of like, well, how do you actually turn the data into something that's actually relevant? And I think the, the challenge, and even in your story, and I have a similar story when I worked in fundraising, is that it's still better to ask the questions so that you have the opportunity to unpack and realize maybe where there are holes in your segmentation model or how you're messaging to your supporters. Because I think what we realized in a similar way is that we had so many different types of people that their in involvement with our organization and their interests were exactly the same, but the intent mm -hmm. behind what they were trying to do was completely different. Mm -hmm. And until we push beyond this idea of involvement and interest, which are still great tools and you should be using them, into intent, we were able to unlock something that helped us in, you know, raise retention rates and also leverage that data to actually message into new markets to actually acquire new donors because we better understood why people were supporting us today so we could go out and actually find like-minded individuals as well to support us through that same intent. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned something else where... Uh, you talked about first-party data and the importance of that. And there's there's a book out uh, that came out this summer by Nick Ellinger um, that called The New Nonprofit. And he speaks to this concept as well, where donors that actually opt in to give you more information or complete your survey are highly more highly likely to give to you. And if you actually segment out and just say, like, did they actually contribute information back to you? Just that simple segmentation, not even responding to what they said it shows that they actually end up giving more because they care more. And so just the art of asking and receiving feedback is an indication that these individuals want to be a part of what you're doing. They care about the cause. Like you mentioned at the beginning, they want to come together with others to actually make a difference in the way that your organization is changing our world. And so just that alone is powerful, let alone the follow-up steps where you're actually responding and presenting that back uh, to the donor. Yes, that, that giving donors the opportunity to raise their hand and tell you that they care. And there, there are other great data points. Um, Target Analytics back in back was, I think, one of the pioneers on really helping organizations understand that when somebody calls to tell you um, 
you know, that something was wrong with something they received or they, my gosh, if they call and tell you that they're moving and give you their new address, you know, it's, it's those hand things. So you, you raising your hand things, you don't just want your donor services team to grow. Great. We've updated your address. You want them to actually capture somewhere. This person called and told us their address. Like they had us on their list of important um, people to call when they were moving. And we all know what moving is like. Um, and we still made the cut. My gosh, like what sort of banner do we need that donor to fly that says, I love you more than that? Um, and then and then again, how do we echo that back and make sure that they know, we know that you know that we know, you know, what are those things? Yep, that, yeah, that, yeah. The, the simple one we saw was when um, people gave us two addresses because they were snowbirds. It's yeah, like the fact yes, that they're yeah. telling us that they spend half the year in Florida and half the year in Michigan, like... <laughs> Again, it's clear that they want to hear from us. They actually care that we're communicating with with them. And when we kind of break that trust by ignoring that, that's when it's like, you know, you kind of lose sight of that um, and lose mm-hmm. the entire momentum that you've built with that, built with that supporter. And so it's kind of this balance between knowing the information, but also making sure you don't overlook the importance of what was shared. And so like you mentioned, being ready to actually respond to what you hear is so important from a strategy standpoint, not just a tactical standpoint. Like, are you ready to respond to the data that you're going to get back? If not, don't do it. Right. And, and learn from it. So going back to my example of the survey where all of a sudden we realized special education teachers were an important and unrecognized part of our donor file, we, we quickly figured out a way to start to collect that information and we were more aware of it going forward so we could, we could listen for those cues and we could look for those cues and even include that in future surveys. Um, and, and it was just was a way to, to acknowledge this, this part of our, our donors that had always been there, but we were somehow blind to it. Yeah. And it kind of, again, it, it resurfaces this idea of like from a strategy value standpoint that then trickles down to tactics, which then leads into fundraising. So it's not just tactical changes, but it's actually kind of strategies and even values and virtues of your organization. So if you're listening to this, I hope you take away that it's not just, oh, send a survey, listen to feedback and send. It's like there's an adoption of a set of values. And we, we actually have some coming out in our new book that's uh, or Gabe's new book that's coming out next month called the Responsive Nonprofit Virtues. We actually have commitments there. But one thing that stood out to me for what you are doing at the Nonprofit Alliance is you all, you all have kind of done the same exercise and kind of noted four we care statements that members kind of share or agree to mm-hmm. share. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would love for you to unpack these because I think these are valuable for fundraisers to hear because you've only chosen four. And so I'm curious what these are and why above all other options, these were selected. Yes. And maybe more so than that. Va- I mean, they are values, but, but identifiers. Um, and so let me share what the four we cares are, and then I'll, I'll unpack them a little bit. So we care about accountability to a society that understands and, and values the vital role of nonprofits. We care about responsible use of technology and data that enables nonprofits to provide relevant and timely outreach to the people who care about our missions and the work that we do. We care about donors and supporters who are individuals and invested in our work as much as we are. And we care about the future of our sector. The accountability to a society, that's, you know, that is about that trust piece um, and, and ensuring that not just individually, but collectively as the nonprofit sector, um, caring about the responsible use of technology and data. So that has to do with 
data privacy legislation and the way that's changing and, and impacting the way everybody, nonprofits, small businesses, large tech companies, the way all of us are, are engaging with donors and customers. Um, and it's also recognizing that nonprofits are, and like everybody, are so tied to this very rapidly changing world of technology, which is about how we find people where they are, where people find us, how we communicate, the way that we share our stories, the ways that we serve our, um, our mission and deliver our programs. We can't, as an association, not care about that. And so putting that out front and center is something that, that is important to us was, um, was vital. We care about our donors and supporters as individuals. So this one, this one is the one that um, I don't know that I want to say it's more important than the others, but it's the one for me that just really drives home the um, the nonprofit alliance vision and value. Um, if you think about it, a lot of people, if they had to describe sort of the diagram of a nonprofit and the way it engages with people, you'd put the the beneficiaries or the work that we're doing in the middle, and then the nonprofit organization, like a big ring, like a donut around that, you know, sort of protecting it. And then the donors or investors as like prongs coming out of that donut, you know, or another circle around it. So it's beneficiaries in the middle, then the nonprofit organization, and then the donors. And the nonprofit organization, in one sense, it's connecting the donors to the beneficiaries, but it's also separating them, right? It's like you're inside the donut or you're outside the donut. Um, the nonprofit alliance um, vision and, and you know, and frankly, my vision is that we change up that model a little bit. We change up that that diagram or that visual, and instead think about um, you know, start with our two circles. One of them is the donors, and one of them is the the beneficiaries, and then slide them together like a Venn diagram. And where those two overlap, that's the nonprofit organization. That darker color of the overlapping circles is the nonprofit organization as the direct connection with donors and, um, and beneficiaries. So instead of the buffer, we're the, the overlap, we're the piece that comes together. Um, I, I don't think the greater whole of our space necessarily thinks of it that way. And I don't think media and the world outside of our space thinks of it that way. And I, w- I want to change the way we approach um, our model of nonprofits. That's a very long explanation of We Care Bullet number three. <laughs> and then We Care Bullet number four is pretty self-explanatory, caring about the future of our sector. Um, you know, if we can't um, protect and promote and strengthen the philanthropic sector today, that doesn't bode very well for us in the future. And the nonprofit alliances, you know, we, we want to kind of be running a few steps ahead of, of um, the nonprofit organizations and our members and, you know, with our machetes and kind of clearing the path a bit so that they can keep doing their vital work and have a little bit less of the the branches and the thorns in their way. I appreciate you unpacking each of these because I think they reflect how modern nonprofits or those that are looking and thinking about the future really are adopting or refactoring kind of how they posture towards donors and supporters, but also thinking about data and technology and also the future. And especially number three, I think, aligns so well with our beliefs here at Virtuous and this idea of how do we actually bridge the gap and bring the givers and the good closer together. And the organization is rather a platform for that to be facilitated. And I think there's a lot of alignment between what the Nonprofit Alliance is is talking to and what we're here at Virtuous believe in Mm -hmm. and are helping nonprofits Mm -hmm. do through technology, or that's our intent. And so I really appreciate kind of 
you showcasing that. And if people are interested in learning kind of more about the Nonprofit Alliance and kind of the programs and events and other resources you all provide, where, how should they go about doing that? How can they connect with you all? Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter and um, LinkedIn and Facebook, but also come to our website. It's tnpa.org, the nonprofitalliance.org, tnpa.org. Um, all sorts of information you can dive through, events, um, um, you know, our, our, the We Care statements, our policy positions, but also at the very bottom of the homepage, you can sign up to be on our email list and then you'll get our newsletters and our legislative roundups and our job bulletins and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, definitely check that out, tnpa.org. Shannon, always a pleasure to have a conversation with you and thanks for joining us. Noah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20-plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.